So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 63. This is one of my favorites. And I just, I favor the book of Psalms. I just like, my, I tend to gravitate towards there. Like if, I, if I'm going to just open up my Bible and spend time with the Lord, like I just tend to gravitate towards the book of Psalms for a number of reasons. They meet me right where I'm at in various seasons of life. The Psalms give me verbiage for prayer and, and communion with God. They remind me of who God is. and They, they remind me that I'm invited to, to draw near to him, to experience him, to know him, to, to, to pour out my, my heart to him and, and trust him through difficult times. And I read Psalms like this one that we're going to look at today of God's people going through some really hard times and God holding them through and sustaining them through the most difficult of times. This is uh, Psalm 63, and I've titled this, Seeking God in the Wilderness. Seeking God in the Wilderness. And the reason why I titled it that, because that is the theme of this psalm, is, is this longing and pursuit of God. And the context, and we don't have this with every one of the psalms, but the context is, was when David was in the wilderness, in the wilderness of Judah. Okay, now we know when we read First and Second Samuel, we know at, at least two times when David was on the run and he was a fugitive, right? And we went through um, at the beginning of the year. We went through First Samuel. We went through the first eighteen chapters of First Samuel, and we know that from First Samuel that David was on the run for Saul. For quite some time, he had been anointed king. Saul was the king, and then Saul was rejected by God, and the prophet Samuel anointed David to be the king, all right? And, 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 then, and then and David providentially was able to serve, playing his harp, playing his music for Saul, and, and he ended up stepping up and fighting Goliath, and, and he was able to kind of serve King Saul, but Saul kind of had this, this, these mixed feelings about him. While he loved him and everyone else loved him, he actually, well, he actually hated him. Like, he was jealous of him, so he was chunking spears at him, and he was on the run for his life, David was, from Saul. But there's another instance in the Scripture when David was on the run, when David had actually uh, begun to govern and reign as king, and he had a son named Solomon. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm sorry, I said Solomon, Absalom, thank you. He had a son named Absalom who was divisive. He was seeking to steal the hearts of the Israelites he was talking to them on the side, pulling them aside, and trying to win over their hearts and divide the kingdom and overthrow his father as the king. And so theologians land, a lot of theologians land on that. This is the context of this psalm, particularly because of the way he describes in verse 11 uh, where, where he mentions the king, the way he mentions the king here. And it makes sense. And if that's the case, if, if, if David was on the run, not, not from King Saul, but, but Absalom, who was trying to overtake him as king, think of how painful and difficult that must have been. Not only that somebody was seeking his life, but it, it was his very own son who wanted him dead. And it was his very own son who was trying to take over 
in an ungodly way and lead the, the nation in an ungodly way when God hadn't ordained that God, or God hadn't um, uh, permitted or God hadn't chosen him to be the king. God obviously allowed that and, and used all that. So that's the context here. I hope it's helpful as we look at this Psalm 63. Father, as we open your word, open the eyes of our understanding and meet us right where we're at. We need to hear from you today. We need to hear your voice. We need to be shaped by your thoughts and your words. So come wash us in the water of your words. Come sanctify us by your truth. Come ignite our hearts for you, God. Help us to see your beauty, your power, and to see your love. And to be transformed by beholding you today. Silence the voices of the world and our flesh and the enemy. Let us just hear you and respond to your voice. For your glory and for our joy, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah, um, psalm 63, starting in verse 1. This is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you. On my bed, upon my bed, and meditate on you in the night watches, in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God has given us access to himself for all that we need in this life, and he alone can satisfy us. Through dry and difficult times, the longing of our souls for God is intensified and we are to seek him more earnestly and trust him more fully. I'll read it again because it's a mouthful. God has given us access to himself for all that we need in this life and he alone can satisfy. And through dry and difficult times, the longing in our souls for God is intensified. We are to seek him more, and we are to seek him more and more. We are to seek him more earnestly and trust him more 
fully. Trust him fully. And so the first thing I want to highlight in this passage is David's approach to God, the way he talks about God. He says, oh God, you are my God and earnestly I seek you. He had this angst in his soul, this longing in his soul. He was going to find God in his difficult times. He wasn't going to sit around and be passive and just let his circumstances overtake him and just die. He was going to fight for his life and he was going to seek God to be his help, to be his strength, to satisfy his soul and sustain him through the drought through the wilderness. In, in uh, Psalm 31, there's a similar verse here. He says, but, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. You see, David had this personal relationship with God. All right? And God forbid that any of us should settle for a version of Christianity that is impersonal, that treats God as this impersonal force out there. Because God is, though he is transcendent, though he is holy and righteous and powerful and wise, and he's everywhere, he's also personal. And we can draw near to him. We can be close to him even through the most difficult times. And we all need to come to that place where we approach God as our God. The one true God. who He's become our God. We have become his followers, his children, his saints through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's not enough for him to be our parents' God or our pastor's God, or somebody else's God. We need to know him personally. And here at City Church, we emphasize that as a part of our vision. This is what we're about. Know Jesus. Know him personally. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. God wants us to know him. God created us with the capacity to know him. We're made for him and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And I feel sorry for those who go through difficult times in life without a relationship with God. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it is disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life, blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can waste your life and lose your soul. We can save ourselves so much pain and disappointment if we would just invite God into the hard times in our lives. And though, though David knew God and though we may know God, that doesn't mean that we won't experience hard times because hard times will come to all of us. Difficult times will come to all of us. Painful, really hard things are gonna, we're all gonna experience trials in this life. And woe to the one who tries to make it through those without a relationship with God who strengthens 
who delivers, who sustains, who protects, who guides, who guards. And so David, we see here that God was David's desire. He had this deep, deep longing in his soul that nothing in this world could satisfy. Too often, we look to all other resources in the world for relief, for help, for deliverance. And we don't look to God. Or maybe we, we turn to him lastly, right? And so David was, was earnest in his seeking of God. He says, earnestly, I seek you. Some translations say early, I, I seek you. And it can rightfully be translated that. And I think, I think the two go together when you're, when you're earnest in pursuit, you're diligent in pursuit of God. It, it, it can accompany rising early to meet with God, prioritizing God at the very beginning of your day. My wife and I have done that since, for years since we've been walking with the Lord, and it's, we just need that. Okay, whether you're a morning person or not. Now, you may seek the Lord at night. I don't want to diss on those who you have time with the Lord in the evenings. Do that. Spend time with God in the morning, evening, afternoon, whatever. But earnestly seek God. Seek him. David found God to be the greatest longing of his heart, of his soul. He sought God. Seeking God is something that God commands us to do. Seeking God is something that he rewards us when we do. Seeking God, God, God draws close to us when we seek him. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God gives us perspective when we seek him. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. God, God uh, gives us mercy and grace when we seek him, when we come before the throne of grace looking for his help. Through the blood of Jesus, we come and we find help, we find mercy and grace to help us in our time and need. We have access to the king of kings. We have access to the one who rules the world, the wisest, the, the, the wealthiest, the, the most loving, kind, powerful person in the world. We have access to him. And he will give us what we need. And he will satisfy us with himself. He delivers us from our fears when we seek him. We sang this earlier. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. If you're paralyzed with fear and anxiety, the scriptures point us to seek God. Seek God Follow David's example in seeking God and trust that he will deliver you from those fears. God says he'll heal and restore our land when we seek him in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, that was, there was a specific context in which God spoke that. But I don't see any reason why God wouldn't do that in any small community that decides to repent and seek God's face. And God will perhaps pour out revival, renewal, and, and change things. Now, why did David seek God if he already knew God? He already found God, and God already found him. He already had a re relationship with God. There are some people who take that approach. Well, I'm already a Christian. I already go to church. I don't need to seek God. You know, I just go to church once a week. All right? 
Well, the Bible talks about this ongoing relationship with God. And A.W. Tozer, in his book, Pursuit of God, he says these profound words. He says, the paradox of love is to have found God and still seek him. The paradox of love is to have found God. We know him. We got a relationship with him. We're walking with him, but but we're still seeking him because we still need him. We never graduate from grace. We never graduate and grow out of our need for God in our lives. He's the source of it. And man doesn't live by bread alone, as we talked a little bit about last week, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Last week, we looked at Psalm 119, and one of the verses there was verse 10. And the psalmist says, I, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And in that context of the psalmist seeking God wholeheartedly, the context was he was seeking God in his word. Okay? He was looking for God in his word, beholding God in his word, looking what God has to say in his word. A relationship, any relationship requires communication on both sides. We talk to and we listen to, right? There's, there's that mutual uh, relationship component that happens. And, and we talk to God in prayer. And we, we listen to God through his word. And he does speak to us through other ways, directly His spirit directly speaks to his people and leads his people. And he speaks to us through circumstances. And we talked about that in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But this is God's word. And if we want a word from God, this is the the best place to start. If you're looking to hear from God, open up his word and study his word. See what he has to say. Behold who he is. The paradox of love is to have found God but still seek him. Now, let's talk a little bit about this dry and weary land. Because here in Texas, where we're experiencing over 100 degree weather every day, this dry and weary land seems very relevant to us. And maybe you're here today and you're going through a season of life that feels very dry and very barren and very difficult and very lonely and very painful. Well, the Bible speaks to that. And this is one of those passages. This is, this, here's an example of somebody that had he not journaled these things down, had he not took note of these experiences that he had with God, we wouldn't have this. And God brought David through these hard times, and, 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 and we get to read about it. We get the very words of God on the pages of Scripture, and we identify like, man, this, we can, ex- I, I, I kind of know what he's talking about here. He says, my soul thirsts for you and faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Okay. Now the wilderness, by the way, in, in, the, in the scripture, the wilderness was a place of testing. It was a place of, of testing, a place of humbling. It, it was a place that God brought his people through and he tested them to humble them, to teach them that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was a place that, that God didn't abandon his people in the wilderness, Jeremiah says that they found grace in the wilderness, okay? God was with them. God provided manna. God provided water. 
God provided protection, shade, a cloud by day and a, and a fire by night. God is with his people through the wilderness, through the difficult times. David in Psalm 143 verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So he's using this imagery here of, of, a, of a land that is dry, without water. I, I don't know if you've looked at the ground lately, but like in the parks and stuff, there are these huge cracks in the soil. I know in this area where the, the, the ground is dry, if, if you're a house owner, you know that you probably need to water your foundation this time of year because stuff is going to start shifting. The ground is dry, and it seems to intensify um, it seems to intensify e even our own emotional and spiritual lives when we experience this physical heat, doesn't it? Does it for you? It does for me. Seem, seems like, man, where is there any relief? Can we go to Colorado or North Carolina or uh, California? Where can we go to get some cool weather and just breathe, right? I remember when I was in a season of, I, I would call it a dry time. It was maybe about 20 years ago as a believer, and I was wrestling with life direction, career direction, and just felt the, the, the monotony of day-to-day -day work. I was working in a warehouse, and it was hot in the warehouse, and, and working in trucks. I was, I was very hot and sweaty at the end of the day. I don't think my AC worked uh, during that time. And I just remember this one particular day. This one particular day, I was leaving work, and I was just frustrated. Now, I knew the Lord. I loved the Lord, but I was just in a dry season. And I remember I just kind of hit the, the steering wheel and stepped on the gas. I was like, Ugh! like, I feel like I'm called to be doing something different right now. I want to get married and have a family. I want to see all God do these great things in my life. And I just felt like, man, when are, when's things going to change? I just kind of felt dry and a little distant from God. I was single, and I had some time that evening, and so I was like, man, where can I go? Where can I go to get some encounter with God, to get in the presence of God with the people of God? And so I knew I had a friend named Bunny Pounds who was leading a, um, a prayer meeting at her church in, in East Dallas, and I, and I remember I, I went over there, and it's just a, I knew it was a really sweet prayer time, and I showed up in this place. It's a beautiful sanctuary, a beautiful building, and I just felt the presence of God when I walked in. I just heard singing. It's just a small group of people just singing, lifting their voices to God, and God met me there in my frustration, in my discontentment, in my discouragement, in my dryness, and God just watered my weary soul with his presence. And I thought about this psalm, Psalm 63, verse 3. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, for your loving kindness is better than life, and my lips will praise you. God met me there. And, I'm, and I have that memory. I have a number of memories like that where, where God has met me whether, whether personally or corporately, amongst the people of God, and I encountered his presence, and it's just a reminder for me that God is with me, God is for me, I don't need to give up. And that's one of the reasons why we need to gather in corporate worship. I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. But let me talk a little bit more before I go into that. Let me talk a little bit more about these dry times. 
One of the things that God showed me, and this, is, this, this metaphor was very helpful for me, that trees in drought, their roots have to go deeper to find moisture, okay? So there's purpose. God's, God's doing something. He doesn't arbitrarily bring us through the wilderness, through dry times, through difficult times. There's always something good that he's up to in our lives, and he's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to develop us through the test. He's trying to help us see where, where he wants to work and change and cleanse and transform in our lives. He's developing us. He's changing us. And our roots can go deeper if we respond in, in faith and then we respond in, in an earnest pursuit of God in the midst of dry times. Our roots can go deeper and we can become stronger and more grounded. So when storms come and difficult times come, we'll have more stability in the Lord. Now I'll also say this, that dry times can be induced by unconfessed sin. Dry times can be induced by unconfessed sin. David experienced this. Remember, he sinned significantly, committing adultery, and having the husband killed on the front lines of battle and trying to cover it up. And he went through a really, he went through a year almost of a really difficult time. And I think this is his description of that in Psalm 32 when he, when he was covering his sin. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Anybody ever felt like that? All right, I know, I know you felt the heat of summer living in Texas this season, right? I have been more thirsty than I've ever been this summer and found myself in need of more water, not bringing enough. You know, I bring, you know, like one little thing there, and then I'm like, man, I should have brought like a whole jug. I'm not drinking enough water. I mean, what's the recommendation for water that we need? 64 ounces. I actually, I, I read, I looked it up. Um, <laughs> I Googled it. I think it said one, one article I saw is like men need like 3.7 liters in a day of fluid and, and women 2.7 or whatever, something like that. Anyways, we need water. Our body's made up of 60% roughly of water, right? We need water to survive. And David was saying even more than water, my soul needs God, because if I don't have God, my soul's going to shrivel up and die. I need God. And so dry times can be induced by unconfessed sin. So I think it's, it's a good practice when we're going through it. God, is there anything that you're wanting to highlight in my life through this time? Am I, am I bringing this on? Now, I would say we don't want to make the mistake to assuming that that's always the case. Because that surely wasn't the case when Jesus was going through the wilderness in difficult times. I don't think we would argue that that's why Paul went through all the hard times because he was just living in sin. He needed to confess his sin, right? The people of God have always experienced difficult times, right? But sometimes we can, we can bring those thing, things on ourselves and we can save ourselves from a lot of pain if we'll just simply confess and say, God, I was wrong. Forgive me. I've been so prideful. I've been so arrogant, so independent not to ask you for help, not to seek you to, you know, Psalm 10, 4 says that the wicked and their proud countenance do not seek God. God is in none of their thoughts. 
I mean, what does it look like for us to seek God on a daily basis? Another, um, another analogy that I thought about was this survival show called Alone. Anybody else watch Alone? This is one of those shows that me and my family have, have gotten into and, and, and uh, watched at least one season of, of the whole thing. It's just like, man, it is so intriguing to see what happens. These people get dropped off in the wilderness right? They can only have like, what, 10 items. Y'all correct me here if I'm wrong. They can select 10 items, okay? They get dropped off in the wilderness. They have to be alone, okay? They have to be alone, okay? And the goal is to rough it out and to be the last one standing so you get the million dollars and you can buy the house that you want and move on with life and things are all good, right? Like, and then the the experience. A lot of folks are in it for the experience as well. Like, I just want to see how far I can go. You know, and the first thing, when they get dropped off in the wilderness, one of the first things they're doing is they're looking for food and they're looking for shelter, food, shelter, water. They need to get set up with the basic necessities of life, which the Bible says with that we should be content, right? The basic necessities. And so they're, they're looking for that. And they find, they find and they set up these really cool shelters. They make fires. And it's just, it's fun to kind of watch the progression go. Like sometimes they're all fired up the first day, you know, and they just, you know, some of them are just seem a little, a little too um, uh, um, cocky, if you will. Like, you know, one sitting in a boat, like, oh, I found this abandoned boat, right? And then, and then they come to, you know, 40 days later, right? And they need food and, and, and they're, they're struggling. And, and what, what, what has been interesting for me is to see the mental breakdown and the emotional breakdown, the toll that it takes on these people who are without community for weeks, who are without the the enjoyment of pleasant music and without the enjoyment of air conditioning or or a heater. They have to create their own with the fire, right? And without the, the, the convenience of fast food of just driving through and getting a fish sandwich, they have to go catch their own fish and they're eating all kinds of crazy stuff like squirrels and skunks and I mean, all kinds of stuff. And it's, instri- it's intriguing to me. And, and it highlights a couple of things to me. One is that we're, we're created for community. We're not made to live isolated lives alone. I remember I, I tried for about 40 days. I tried to do what Jesus did, like fast 40 days, and I, I camped out by myself. I was maybe there a week, no food, had water, all right? And it was taking a toll on me, man. Like I missed my church people. Like where are my church people, right? And I had, at one point I had to break down and just go, go to church, like quit trying to do this whole thing by myself and like go to church. And I just wept. I cried like a baby because the presence of God was there. God met me there, and I was just reminded, like, this is so good. I need this corporate worship, the people of God, and the presence of God. Now, God, of course, can meet us while we're by ourselves, while we're alone, and we need to develop history with God and communion with God in solitude, lest our relationship just be based on everyone else's support and everyone else's relationship with God. But there's, there's a way that we encounter and experience the presence of God in, in, a, in a special way when we gather as his people and he shows up and he inhabits the praises of his people. So there's a lot more we could say about the, the TV show alone and our need for community and our need for God. So David's, God also was David's delight. God was David's greatest desire 
And God was David's greatest delight. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Now, I don't think there was a sanctuary in the wilderness here. All right? I think David was remembering his past experiences with God, kind of like Psalm 42, and the psalmist does in Psalm 42 when he's depressed and discouraged and he remembers how he was in corporate worship and how God met him there and God, it was refreshing and good and there was singing and God was there. David's reminding, he's, he's remembering and he's remembering how he's experienced God in the past. I've looked for you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory, David just wanted to behold God. Psalm 27, for one thing I've desired, one thing I, I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David just wanted God in his life. Do you have that kind of angst within you that you just want God and you find him to be your delight? One of the beautiful things about corporate worship when we gather together as the people of God is that we, we get a glimpse of who God is. We get a glimpse of his power, a glimpse of his glory. We're able to behold him, behold him in his word, behold him in the songs that we sing about him. We magnify him together like a telescope magnifies the planets. We, get a, we hone in on who he is. And as we do that, we find delight to our souls, for our souls. We're created for delight. And by the way, this helps us fight sin. This helps us fight sin when we find God to be a greater delight than, than the passing pleasures of sin that take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. So David was beholding the power and the glory of God. And by the way, we're changed when we do this. We're changed when we do this. When we do this, when we look at who God is, it just rubs off on us. He rubs off on us. He changes us. And the New Testament talks about this. We all, with unveiled faces, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And see, if you're a Christian, you're born again, you're a child of God, your eyes have been opened. The veil has been removed. You can get a glimpse of who God is and be changed as you gaze upon his beauty and his power and his love, and you become more like him. This is what happened with the disciples when they were around Jesus, and Jesus mentioned it in his prayer in John 17, verse 26. He said, your name I have declared to them, and I will declare it so that the love that you loved me with would be in them. So as they saw Jesus displaying and declaring the Father, God, they would be changed and they would take on God's nature to become more like him. Jesus pointed to this deeper thirst that we all have and he appealed to it as, as a basis for coming to him because he knew deep within in the, the human heart and soul there is a longing that only God can satisfy. And he told this woman, this woman at the well who had lived an immoral life, had experienced some painful experiences with a, a number of husbands. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him 
will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Saints, we have the fountain of living water given to us. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're missing out. Your soul is aching for God and you don't know it and you're looking for every other thing, every other relationship, every other thing to help define you and satisfy you and give you purpose and meaning in this painful, broken life. Turn to God. Turn to God today. Don't waste another day looking for for something that won't satisfy. Only he can satisfy us. And that's why Jesus came. And he invites us to come. All you who are thirsty, come. Come and drink. So let's talk a little bit about corporate worship. David said, so I've looked for you in the sanctuary. He's speaking about corporate worship here. Psalm 73, Asaph was, re- referenced this in his painful experience when he was thinking about the, the ungodly, the, the wealthy that he envied and he was questioning, is it really worth it following God? Have I purified my heart have I lived a pure life in vain? He was questioning that and says, until he went into the sanctuary, until he went into corporate worship with the people of God, he was reminded that God is enough. He was reminded that God has been with him, that God has provided, protected him. And he was reminded of the ungodly and their destination in rejecting God and pursuing a life of rebellion. You know, even just this week, I had an opportunity to go visit our city church, uh, city church International, and they have prayer on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I used, to, I used to get to be a part of that and help lead prayer like on Thursday nights and Monday nights, weekly for a year, Saturday mornings. And I, and I love that, that I've been a part of a praying church ever since I've been a believer. And I want to help lead us more into being a prayerful church here but they have a space at lunch hour, 12 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I just popped in for just some simple time in his presence. And I had, and I had this, this psalm open in the presence of God. And God just met me there. And it was so refreshing. It was 100 plus outside. But inside, I was just being refreshed with the presence of God, renewed in my perspective, strengthened in my soul. Corporate worship is designed to lift your eyes up off of yourself and off of your circumstances and onto the one who is glorious, powerful, and loving. Corporate worship is designed to be a space where you encounter God and you're equipped with the truth of Scripture for whatever comes your way in life. Corporate worship is designed to confront ideas about God, the world, and your own life that don't align with Scripture. Corporate worship is designed to be a place where you're reminded of who God is and what He has said and who you are and what you're to do with your life. Corporate worship is designed to be a place where you praise God and you find your satisfaction in Him. Corporate worship is designed to warm your heart from the coldness of indifference and passivity. We're to stir, consider one another how to stir up love and good works. Don't forsake meeting together. We need to gather together as the people of God. Let's look at verse three here. David says these powerful 
words, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. What a profound statement here. What, what is he saying? Now, first of all, let me highlight that God's steadfast love accompanied him in the wilderness. God's love was with him in the wilderness, and God's steadfast love accompanies you, children of God, you saints, in the wilderness. There's no place that you can go in this world or in life to escape that. His, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 tells us, right? And so when you look at the history of your life, and I was able to do this over the last month or two, you, I, I was able to see God, the trace and the thread, the weaving of God's steadfast love through so many different parts, the good and the bad and the painful. God's steadfast love has been with me. And his steadfast love has been with you. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. And David knew this. David knew. He said, even if my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take care of me in Psalm 27. Even when those closest to me, those earthly relationships that are God-given, even when they choose not to do what God has designed them to do in those loving relationships, David says, you're going to take care of me, God. You're for me. You're with me. And he says this statement. It's so profound. God's love, your steadfast love, your hesed, is the Hebrew word, is better than life. Your, your love is better than life. What is he saying here? Because David was, was in a season when all the comforts were stripped away. David was in a season where the convenience was stripped away. David was in a season where he was just grasping to make it in life, just to get some water and to experience God in a place where he didn't have the comfort of the, corp the regular corporate worship and the rather regular rhythms of life that he knew. And so David was saying, God, I'd, I'd rather have your love than anything else in this world including my own life. Your love's better than life. Now, that statement may be, be beyond many of us to echo that. But it wasn't beyond David. He truly believed that he clinged to the love of God for dear life. And it was a lifeline and an anchor for him through the dry, difficult wilderness experience. And I've said over and over here at City Church, two anchors that you need to have when you're going through those dry and wilderness experiences, trials, you need to have the anchor of God's love, his steadfast love that's just consistent and steady. And you need to, you need to have a strong confidence in the sovereignty of God. None of this surprises God. Didn't catch him off guard. He's like, oh, what do I do? Plan B, right? He's, he's in charge. He's powerful. He's loving. And his love towards us should lead us to praise him. Okay? Um, God was, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to preach an hour and five minutes this week. So forgive me for last week. I'm going to try to land this plane soon. This is my last point. I don't have 10 points this week. Last point. Of course, it's not 176 verses I'm trying to summarize either. It's 11. It's 11. Um, you're good? Okay, we'll go to 1 o'clock. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
God was David's defense. Listen to this. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You see, David had a lot of people seeking his life, a lot of opposition, a lot of uh, adverse circumstances. And God was his defense, his fortress, his shelter, his shield, his rock. And the list goes on and on, that stable place, that place where, where he could uh, 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 take shade, okay? Anybody else uh, like look for the shade in, in this weather? Like, it's amazing what, in 105-degree weather, what some shade will do if you just step into it and get it off, get it off of your head. If you, if you, may, you may need to wear a hat, like, let's shade your hat with a covering, right? Um, and, and find some shade. God is that shelter in dry, hot, difficult times for his people. And the language here, it, it got, it, you know, he says, uh, in the shadow of your wings. The, perhaps the language here is, is referring to like, like a mother bird. Jesus used this language. David uses this language in other places too. In the shadow of your wings, the metaphor is like God is sheltering his people. He will shelter me. And David was confident of, of God being his defense. And so he could face whatever life threw at him because God was for him. God was his defense. God has been his help. God upheld him with his right hand. And is there anybody stronger than him? No. He's got us. And so, saints, you and I can be confident. We can have confidence that God's got us in his grip of grace. Notice this idea of remembering he talks about. Some of us at nighttime, our minds go everywhere. And we may think of the worst scenarios. And our meditation, for some of us, our meditation is anxious thoughts. We meditate on the, what's the worst thing. And we just allow, maybe because we scroll too much. We read too many articles that we shouldn't be reading. And just our minds just meditating on the wrong thing rather than God. David said, I remember you upon my bed. Now, I don't know what kind of bed he had in the wilderness, but he had a place to lay his head somewhere. Uh, and yeah, and, and he says, meditate and, and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. One theologian, Tom Constable, says that meditation on the person and the works of God can bring refreshment and invigoration to any believer. Meditation on God fills a basic need in the heart of every person as a basic need for food and drink. It not only satisfies the believer, but overflows in praise, making him or her a blessing to others. He goes on here, and he uses a little more graphic language, but those who seek, not God, but seek to destroy my life, they shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword and a portion for jackals. Jackals, I mean, you get the picture. You guys have seen some of those Disney movies. What is that? Uh, Lion King, the jackals. Is that jackals? Hyenas. Hyenas. Um, but the king shall rejoice in God. The king, and he's referring to himself here as the king. The, the one who was rightfully um, anointed as king. Absalom was not to be in that place. And the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exult for their mouths for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Amen to that. Don't we want liars to just stop? Their mouth to just 
Like, stop lying. Stop spreading deceit. Stop speaking things that are hurtful and ungodly. God's going to take care of that. The Bible speaks about a judgment day. It's just going to happen. Jesus talked about it. And so we don't have to be judgmental of people. We can let God take care of that. Let him take care of liars. And so let's close in a couple points of application. Remember God and how you have seen his goodness in your life. Remember. Remember. Meditate on who God is and what he's done. Our hearts are prone to forget. We're prone to spiritual amnesia. We forget all the ways God has answered prayer, all the ways God has provided, all the ways God has protected. Take note of those things. Remember those things. Recount those things to, to, to your family. Have conversations instead of just focusing on the hard parts of, of where you're at. Now, it's, we need to grieve and we need to talk about where we're at when it's hard and be honest. The Bible directs us to meditate on what's pure and lovely, praiseworthy, of good report. The effect will be peace, peace in our soul. It'll be good emotionally for us if we'll meditate on what's good and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. Next, prioritize corporate worship and come with an expectation to encounter the living God. Come with an expectation that God's going to meet you. He's going to meet the people of God. There are so many needs represented here. And yes, we come to bring an offering of praise and worship to God. But we also come as beggars that are hungry and thirsty. And we don't need to be ashamed of that reality. We're really needy. Some of us are not very good at expressing that. David was willing to say it. I'm poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks of me. And so we come to corporate worship with lots of needs, lots of desires. And God is glorified in satisfying those desires that are good and right that he's put there, right? And then changing those things in our lives that aren't from him, that are destructive. And lastly, seek God in his word and prayer and praise and expect him to help you and to satisfy your soul. There's something very satisfying about praise when we, when we praise God. And I, I love to experience it. And there's been many times when I, was, when I have felt heavy, right? I have a, as the Bible calls, a spirit of heaviness. And I put on, put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I, I like to use the illustration when my kids are young and they're little babies, like we dress them, Right? like they need our help to dress. But then like when they turn five, they start, it's their responsibility to start putting their own clothes on or six, you know, like they got to start dressing themselves, right? And I, you know, as new Christians, you just see it like there's just this praise that just flows from new Christians. They're excited, they're joyful, like Jesus, right? Like I had a, I had a cardboard sign in my little Toyota Celica, in 1998 when I became a Christian. And I would just hold it up when I'd drive down the road. I had all these bumper stickers, very cheesy bumper stickers. Like, you remember the got milk? I had got Jesus. I never drive faster than my angels can fly. <laughs> right, you know, the big bang, God spoke, boom, right? 
Like just all these little cheesy one-liners that I had on the back of my, on the back of my little Toyota Zelica two-door, and I would pack in, I'd bring a bunch of people to church, kids to church, and just pack them in like two, two like sardines. And, and then like we'd get out, and folks were like, whoa, all those people just came. It was like one of those uh, clown, clown cars, you know, people just getting out of the car. And I would hold that sign up, like one time I stopped on 35 and there was traffic jam. I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to just hold this sign up. So I got out and it was hot and I'm like holding this Jesus loves you sign up on, six, on 35. I was a Jesus freak, unashamed, right? And, and so like, like it, and my point is, as new believers, there's just this tendency towards praise, right? And at some point, we, we got to learn to put on the garments of praise when we don't feel like it. You know, as, as you get older and, and you walk with the Lord for a longer time, life hits you with more difficult things. There's times when you just got to choose to put them on. Put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And Jesus gives that. Isaiah 61 talks about that if you want to look it up. But listen to this quote. I'm going to finish with this, this long quote from C.S. Lewis. about it. This is from Reflection on Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not the, the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment it is the appointed consummation it is out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are they delight in incomplete until, their their delight i'm sorry their delight is incomplete till is till it is expressed it is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is or to come suddenly at, at, at a turn of the road and upon some mountain valley or unexpected grandeur and then have to keep it silent because the people uh, with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch or to hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thank you, Scottish typo. But we shall, <laughs> the chief end of man is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, he is inviting us to enjoy him. In commanding us to glorify him, he's inviting us to enjoy him. And just notice throughout this psalm, Kevin, if you guys would come on up. Just notice throughout this psalm, there's a handful of times where David's like, I'm going to praise you with joyful lips. And remember the context. He's in the wilderness. Life is not easy, right? He says, I'm going to praise you. My soul will be satisfied as with rich Food. Think about going to a feast where maybe you sat around a table where you're like, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. But this food is good and I'm glad to be here, right? Like, and it's, you take it in. And David's like, my soul, my soul will be satisfied. Like that satisfaction that comes in experiencing some really good food. And so let us be a people who feast on God, who feast on God. And in our worship of God, we, we come with a desire for him. In our worship of God, we delight in him, and he delights in us. Gosh, we need that. 
especially if life doesn't seem very delightful. And in our worship, we depend upon God and we express dependence on God. We need him. David did this. And so let us be a people who do this who desire God, who delight in God, who depend upon God, who find God to be our defense, our deliverer, our rock, and the only one who can truly satisfy us and deliver us.